0: If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to be opening to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 will be there in uh, just a moment. And, uh, one resource that I wanted to mention to you as we enter this season is a devotional resource that uh, some of our shepherds created a few years ago and I still use it each year Um, it's uh, just a daily devotional that was written by four of our shepherds uh, Brian Pruitt John Hill Nathan Heisler Don Mundy and uh, I've I've really been encouraged by this there's a hard copy of it located out there in the foyer and you'll see receive an electronic copy uh, tomorrow in your email so I encourage you if you don't already have a devotional that you're going through during this season, uh, this would be a good one to to attend to. Well, uh, true or false, we are good at waiting. (laughs) I wasn't expecting a response, but I heard a lot of falses out there. Um, Fresh off one of the biggest album launches of her career, Taylor Swift announced earlier this month that she was going on a new stadium tour in 2023. Fans who have already waited for five years for Swift to go back on tour received a special code after registering and had this exclusive access to buy tickets ahead of the rest of the public. However, the demand crashed the ticketing site, and some parents waited online in the ticket purchasing queue for over six hours, only to come up disappointed that they did not receive the tickets that they had waited for. Uh, one source said, based on the volume of traffic uh, to the site, Taylor would need to perform over 900 stadium shows, almost 20 times more than she's already scheduled to plan uh, to perform. That's a stadium show every single night for the next two and a half years. Now, waiting online for six hours uh, to not get some tickets that you wanted to get is a long time to wait. Now, what I've come to realize in my own life is that I am not very good at waiting. I fully expect Amazon to have that thing on the, on the doorstep before I click, click by now. You know, that's how, how anticipatory we are of these services. But for the past several years, I've found rich benefits in just ordering this season to remind me of what I'm ultimately waiting for so in some circles, today is considered the start of the season of Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas. And so uh, the next four Sundays, uh, we're going to take some time to just step back and to remember what this season is about. Advent or Adventus is just this Latin word that means coming or arrival. And so we're talking about this coming or arrival. It's a season where we take this opportunity to look around. We take an opportunity to stop and just remind ourselves that this world is not yet finished. We remind ourselves that it's missing something. So we practice this art of waiting. We train our hearts once again to long for something more. We practice imagining a world that can and will be made new. And in that, we cultivate something revolutionary. And it's this word that we call hope. So, we don't have any biblical mandate that we have to set aside this calendar, this season every year in order to remember what we're going to be talking about these next few weeks, but I have found a calendar to be helpful uh, some of you may still use the old school uh, paper calendar. That may be what you use to, to keep your, your schedule intact. Uh, my wife, Lainey, and I, we have used a Google calendar for several years. Uh, it's been a great tool for us. Uh, because we try to order our schedules in such a way that we we know what's coming up, we know when to pick up the kids, we know when this event's coming up, and and so, Lainey's the only one that has full and complete access over my calendar. She can schedule something without uh, even getting my permission if she wants. Uh, now she does talk to me about things that we schedule. That's just a part of it. But but when we think about calendaring, it is a is a helpful tool. I use it for. Uh, premarital counseling when I meet with couples oftentimes I'll tell them about you know hey you need to have some sense of a calendar that you are on page about that you can that you can refer to uh, because how you spend your time matters Uh, most churches observe at least two aspects of the Christian calendar most churches observe uh, Christmas in some sort and Easter uh, in some way And so really the point of observing the Christian calendar is to overlay the life of Christ onto our lives in order for us to be formed by his life rather than than by being conformed by the pattern of this world. This is the point. So each year we take the four Sundays before Christmas to form us to become a people shaped by the coming, by the arrival of Christ. Uh, usually around Easter time, I take the six weeks leading up, the six Sundays leading up to Easter, to take, take a moment for us to be formed by, by the cross, the shape of, of the that we are a cross shaped people. But Advent's not about one coming, it's not just about one arrival, it's really about three. So a past, a present, and a future arrival, and coming. The first coming is the remembrance of the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ into this world, many of the, the songs and hymns that we sang today. This is a, a past reality that we turn our attention to. But there's also a present reality that, that Christ is coming still today. That there is this presence of God that is recognized among us now in the Scripture. There's this presence of God that is recognized in the in the sacrament that we just experienced a moment ago as, as Cody led us through this, this time of communion, as we took the bread and, and received the cup. There's this present reality within the community that makes this time of, of year even more focused in, in a way that we think about that and then there's a future reality the final coming the final coming to which advent points us and that is the second coming the parousia it is the coming that awakens the desire of the soul so at the end of time jesus has promised and we believe that the son will return in his glory and this is the coming for which we wait this is the fullness for which we long for this is what we really mean when we say and we sing, come, Lord Jesus, come. So these comings, past, present, and future, all live together in one long sigh of the soul, as one author puts it. And here's the question that Advent asks, it'll be up on the screen. What is it for which you are spending your life? This is the question that we're, we're going to, to be asking ourselves. What is it for which you are spending your life? Uh, last weekend, uh, as a church family, as a faith community, uh, we had four funerals in one weekend, four of our members. And, and I've been serving as the preaching minister here for uh, now a dozen years almost and I've never had a weekend where we had four funerals in one weekend. Uh, it was it was a bit of a heavy week last week for me personally. And so, uh, you know, I did not preach last Sunday. I'm thankful for our student minister, Justin Peach, filling in last week. Uh, so, you know, occasionally I'll get the you know, the, the joking comment, well, I hope you enjoyed your week off last week. I can just tell you, when you have four funerals in one weekend, it's not an off weekend. Um, there's there's a lot going on with that. And I found myself standing before these families as I spoke at three of these funerals. I, I found myself just standing before them asking myself the question, what, what do I believe in? Standing before these families... Uh, tr- trying to communicate this, this message of, of hope. What is, what is the hope for which we long for? What is, what is the hope for which we believe in? And so at each of these gatherings, I, I shared Paul's words in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, we, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who, who have no hope. So, over the next four weeks, I want us to consider the the four themes that really shape us as followers of Jesus in this arena. These are four biblical themes. You'll see those on the screen, hope, peace, joy, and love. These are themes that are mentioned in the biblical narrative some 1,500 times collectively. So, hope, you'll see a couple hundred times in Scripture. Peace, about 300 times joy a couple hundred times, and then love some 700 plus times, you'll see this in Scripture. These are, are themes that are, are all over the pages of the Bible. And as we explore each one of these themes, I want us to just take stock of each one, that they are not independent silos, but they all serve together in a way that gives us a collective experience of the word of God. In your Old Testament, when the prophet Isaiah is writing, Assyria is the the dominant world power. So after King Solomon, there's this civil war between the house of Israel in the north and the house of Judah in the south. And 722 BC, the Assyrians conquer and take captive the northern kingdom. And so Isaiah is preaching, he's prophesying during the reigns of these four kings. It's extraordinary. Said that it's maybe a span of about 60 years uh, that he's preaching and prophesying. And Isaiah is, he's really not just foretelling, he's not just foretelling in a future sense, he's also forthtelling. You know, he is speaking to the, the issues of the day. He is speaking to the religious and the political situations that are going on in his day. He's calling for repentance. He's calling for change. And so in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah acknowledges his own sinfulness before an almighty God. And as, in, as a seraphim, they call out, we just sang a moment ago, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Isaiah is just wrecked. He's wrecked. He says, woe to me, woe is me. I cried, I'm ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Church, I want to remind us today that when you stand before a holy God, all of your pride will be stripped away. When you stand before a holy God, all of your doubt will be stripped away. All of your skepticism will be no more. You will not need another theology book to understand what you are experiencing. When you stand before a holy God, you will know your place. And in the next chapter Isaiah says in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. These are the very words that are quoted in Matthew chapter one, that God did not just wait for us to come to him, but he came to us. Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So for our remaining few minutes today, uh, we're going to, to look at this name, the very name that the son of God was given and consider the hope that was revealed in that name. After our service today, we're gonna to have a combined adult class here in the auditorium. And that theme of hope is gonna to continue to be a part of our class time as well, how Craig will be leading that today. And then we'll have a theme represented each week during class. A lot of people don't realize that uh, Jesus was a fairly ordinary name when it was given to him in the first century. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, we, we read of other people being named Jesus. So in Acts chapter 13, there's a, a false prophet that you can read. His name was Bar-Jesus. In Colossians chapter 4, we read about one of Paul's friends whose who name was Justice, but he went by Jesus, and, and this should tell us something that that our our Lord and our Savior was given an ordinary name that's just tell us about his humility in the way that he came. And so by the second century, uh, so so many people hated this name on the one end, or so many people saw this name Jesus as being sacred, that this name became not, not used very much anymore. You either hated it or it was sacred, and so you didn't use it. And so the fact that God, through an angel, told Joseph and Mary to name their son such a common name should tell us something. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 53: He said he had no beauty, he had no majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance should make us desire him. He was an ordinary man, and yet. The angel tells Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the biblical narrative reminds us that that this is all people. And and so God decrees his name to fit his mission. The name Jesus literally means the Lord saves. That's what the name Jesus means. And so I just want to give us a, a few takeaways today as. It relates to Jesus, the name, and how this grounds our hope during this season and during all seasons of the year. So number one is this, is that the name of Jesus grounds our hope in the reality that we are his. And so we, we say things like, Uh, Well, we need to remember the reason for the season, or we need to, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, and, and that's absolutely true, yet have you ever stopped to consider that the reason that Jesus came was you? The reason that Jesus came was for you. So Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We read this in the New Testament. The essence of something being lost is that it's not where it's supposed to be. You and I, we were created for relationship with God. This is why we were created. Yet we also read in John chapter 10 that, that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so Christmas is God's declaration that we are his, that we belong to what John would, would call in John chapter 10, we belong to the good shepherd. This is who we belong to. And so what, whatever hurt, whatever pain that you are experiencing in this moment, and I've seen the, the, the tears in some of your eyes over the past few weeks, I've, I've seen the heartache, I've, I've, I've heard some of the, the pain that you're going through, the, the things that you're thinking, and many things that I don't know of as I look around this room. That even in those moments, whatever lies the enemy has whispered into your ear, you're not good enough, you're alone, you're the only one going through this, Whatever lies the enemy has whispered into your ear, be reminded today that you belong to Jesus, that you are the reason that Jesus came. The second one is this, is that the name of Jesus tells us that we have sin. His, his name says nothing about saving his people from their enemies. His name says nothing about saving his people from other people's sins. The very first time that sin is used in the New Testament, it has to do with what Jesus has come to save us from. We prefer uh, not to think of ourselves as sinners. Uh, we prefer to think of ourselves as well-intentioned mistakers, if we're honest, or maybe that's just me. Mistakes can make up for what they did. Mistakes don't need saviors. Mistakes just need understanders. Mistakes just need life coaches and cheerleaders. I'm grateful for all of those. But when we call it sin, we're saying something else. We're making a comment about the intention of our heart, that there are times that we are selfish. There are times that we are prideful. There are times that we're unforgiving. There are times that we think and say and do things that hurt the heart of God and hurt the heart of other people and hurt us. And yet the more that I'm in tune with my own sin, the better news that Christmas is to me. Because the greatest news of all time is that he came to save me not from my mistakes, and I've made plenty. He came to save me from my sin. Number three is that the name of Jesus tells us that we need to be saved from sin. So it's been said that if our greatest need was for money, that God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need was for more pleasure, he would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need was health, God would have sent a doctor. If our greatest need was a better government, he would have sent a politician. But our greatest need was forgiveness and deliverance. And so he sent Jesus. Notice we use both of those words, forgiveness and deliverance. That salvation isn't just about Removing the guilt of our sin. It is absolutely about that. But he also came to save us from the power of sin. I need to be saved from both. Salvation isn't just going to heaven after we die. Salvation is the power from heaven that's accessible on this side of the grave before you die so that you can truly live. In just a moment, we're going to sing this very promise of hope. Come bow long expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. And so, in Christ, our souls are saved. Yet, there's a sense in which your heart and mind are being saved in an ongoing way in the present, which means that it's possible for you and I to make changes. It's possible for you and I to, to view our choices in such a way that it's a product of what's happening in our heart and our mind, and that our heart and our mind are under the transforming power of the Spirit. So understanding the name of Jesus can help us. And here's the question. Will you allow Jesus to live up to his name in your life? I just want you to ponder these things where it said that Mary pondered some things in her heart. I just want you to ponder this as we enter into this season, these next few weeks, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the hustle and the bustle, in the midst of trying to get all this done, in the midst of trying to to figure out how we're going to get from here to there and how we're going to spend, you know, our time, you know, all of the things. Will you allow Jesus to live up to his name in your life? John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in what? Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Paul would say it this way, Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Church, when everyone around us is asking, what is the world coming to, may we be a church who is proclaiming, look, who is coming to the world, even in the midst of all that the world is coming to. Will you pray with me? Oh, God. When we come into your presence, we're humble. We're reminded of our unclean lips. Woe to us. Father, we're so very thankful that you did not leave us helpless. Leave us to our own devices, but rather that you came, and through your coming, we have been saved. We place our trust and our hope not in the things of this world. but in your son our savior the greatest phenomenon to break the horizon of this world so father as we sing these words father may we be reminded of the goodness that is you come thou long expected jesus born to set thy people free From our fears and sins, release us and let us find our rest in thee. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.